following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Alright, so this morning we're going to continue on in Colossians. We'll be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. As you're getting your Bible situated there in Colossians 2, I want to give you a picture to think of. I want you to picture a baby somewhere between 6 and 12 months old. And I want you to picture that baby learning to walk. I'm sure if you've not experienced that personally with your own child or children, you've at least seen what I'm talking about. You have a reference point for what it looks like. And if you are, uh, even if you are, uh, you know, in school, you probably have seen maybe a video or something of a, a young baby learning to walk. And here's what I want to draw from that picture, if you've got that picture in your mind, because I have a particular picture in my mind of one of our children learning to walk. So I remember, I can see it uh, so clearly in my mind. We're sitting there, we're in an upstairs room, we're sitting on the floor, and it's almost like, you know, when, when, when a child's learning to walk, they, they first learn to, as they sit up, then they learn to pull up, then they're holding on, and they're standing, and then they get the nerve up to let go, and then there's, it's kind of like this here, you know, they're standing, and they're getting their balance, but then when they realize, it's almost like <laughs> this light bulb goes on, they're like, oh, I can move, and so then they, they take a step. And then, you know, they're still kind of wobbly. They take another step. And here's what usually happens. Here's what happened in my picture. I remember watching. You, you take a few steps and then inevitably, after four, five, six steps, maybe, you know, you crash and burn. And, and you fall. And, but then there, there's a, a whole host of emotions that go along with that. And that's really what I want to key in on in this whole idea of watching a baby learn to walk. There is a fear. There's some unknown. There is uh, maybe some, and, and they obviously they wouldn't be able to articulate this, but maybe some some worry or anxiety, right? Because it's they've never done this before. But as a as a baby, here's what I, I want you to really see. Once the fear is put away to some degree and the worry is managed and the, the steps are taken here's what you see excitement it's like a realization that they're walking they don't know what they didn't know they could do that right and then all of a sudden here they go walking across the room and it's almost like, oh my goodness, I'm walking. Look at me, I'm walking. And they, they can't say that, obviously. But, but then it, it, as they fall, what's the first thing usually they want to do right after that? 
I want to do that again. Right? But it's this whole discovery. It's almost like a self-discovery that a, a child never having walked before, gradually learning who they are, what they can do, how their arms and legs work, how their muscles work, and, and the different... I mean, imagine that. We've all been through it, although we can't probably remember with clarity. But we've all been through that. And the more you learn to walk, the more you want to walk. It's like you start off crawling, and then you crawl everywhere. But once you realize you can do something else, you can go a little faster. The excitement of walking. Now, let's interpret that spiritually. Do you remember when you first started walking with Jesus? There was probably some fear. Maybe some anxiety. Maybe some worry. And then maybe you took a few steps and you fell. And there was still some fear, but you thought, okay, but that was good though. I want to do that again. The more you walk, the more experience you gain, your, your comfort level increases with walking. Today, the Bible is going to tell us something very specific. We need to learn to walk in Jesus. And then we need to keep walking. And, and keep walking. Let's read the Scripture. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 6. Go down to verse 15. The text is on the screen if you'd like to follow. If you'd like to look at your, your personal copy of the, of the Bible in your hand, that's even better. Here's what Paul writes as he's divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him you've been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. And in Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead." When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When He had disarmed the rulers and authorities... He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. 
Father, in Jesus' name, please speak to our hearts very clearly today. Help us understand and then help us obey. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen. Now this little section here of Scripture is technically two paragraphs. Paul is the king of these long, run-on sentences. It's almost like he gets going in this train of thought and he doesn't know where to stop. He just has to keep talking. right? So a lot of this... Uh, if you look in your English translation of the Bible, you'll see all kind of sentences and periods and stuff and breaks, but it's not really there in the, in the original Greek New Testament. It's not there because Paul's just running on with these thoughts. But there's two very particular things in this text today that I believe will be helpful to us to understand. Number one, live in Christ. Live in Christ. When Paul says, he uses this term walk, and it's a synonym for live. He, he's trying to tell us as we walk, as we live, as we go through life, it's go through like walking through life, live in Christ. So this is one of two commands that Paul gives us in the Scriptures today. Live in Christ. And here's what he says, and this is verses 6 and 7. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So let me give you a little bit of a, a news flash. Not really, but you should understand this. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have trusted in Christ for your salvation, for the forgiveness of your sins, for your assurance of eternal life, if you've trusted in Christ, that means you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So Paul is talking to you. He's talking to the church here, and he's talking to all believers. This is a past tense transaction. You have received Christ Jesus. So he's saying, since you've done that, since you've received Christ, here's the implication of that. If you've received Christ and you're following Him, you need to follow Him. That doesn't sound like any kind of a newsflash, right? Because if you're following Jesus, you should actually follow Jesus, right? Doesn't that make sense? But that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. Right? Can I get a witness? Life's not easy, is it? You, you can say, I'm following Jesus. But how many times do we stumble and fall and fail and get discouraged and need someone to pick us up? By the way, that's the reason why you are engaged with a local church in the fellowship of a local church because we are supposed to encourage one another. Lift each other up. So Paul says, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. Live in Christ Jesus the Lord. This is the command. Live in Christ. It's a present tense, which means it's a continual action, which means there's never supposed to be a point in your life, once you have received Christ, there's never supposed to be a point when you stop living in Christ. It's supposed to happen and continue happening. Does that make sense? And, and by the way, let me... Well, this is going to be half-hearted, I'll go ahead and admit. I wanted to apologize, not really, for the overload of grammar that's attached to this message. And I want to tell you up front so you, don't, so you can manage your expectations. If you hate English class, I'm sorry... Not really, but that's a, a lot of that comes into today. And here's why. 
until you see exactly what's being said and why and what words are being used, you don't really grasp the fullness of what's being said. And this is, this is like uh, multiple light bulbs going on to help understand what the Bible says. Paul says, you've received Christ Jesus, walk. That's an imperative command. Walk in Christ. Live in Christ. But then I want you to look at verse 7, how he fleshes that out. There's several things that he says, having been firmly rooted. Now, I want you to see the common theme here, okay? Don't miss this. He says it over and over and over again in these several verses today. Having been firmly rooted in Him. See that? In Him. Now, this, these, there's four different things in this verse, in this one verse. And the first, the first three of the four are all passive. Now, you know what that means? That means you didn't do it, it was done to you or for you. Passive. You are the receiver of whatever's happening. Okay? So that's important. Because who changed your heart? Did you change it? No, Jesus changed it. Right? So you were the passive recipient of some change. God did a work in you if you're following Jesus. And so that means it wasn't you that did it. God did it. Jesus did this. So, having been firmly rooted in Him, being built up in Him, being established in the faith. And by the way, it says in your faith. The literal translation in the Greek New Testament is the faith. It's talking about faith in Christ. There's no, not in something else. Faith in Christ. So, those first three things, firmly rooted, being built up, being established in the faith, those are passive. That, that's what God's doing in you. If Jesus has saved you, forgiven you your sins, that's what He's doing, the work He's doing in your heart and life. So we need to recognize what God is doing because, look at the fourth one in verse 7, abounding in Him in thankfulness, gratitude. Okay, The only way you can overflow and abound in thankfulness, that's the one thing that's not passive, by the way. That's what we're supposed to do. Wouldn't we be thankful if we recognize all the things Jesus has done for us? Wouldn't that be the appropriate response to be thankful to God? Is anybody in here different than when you first got saved? Are, are y'all right? okay? Are you different now than when Jesus saved you? I hope so. Because if you're not... You might not have met the same Jesus I met. Jesus changes your heart. You should not be the same person today that you were when you met Jesus. You didn't have to clean up your act to meet Jesus, but once you met Jesus, He's going to clean up your act for you. That's how that works. Okay? So, we should be changed, firmly rooted, built up, established in Him, and then overflowing in thankfulness. That's the result of living in Christ. So as we're obedient to this first command, live in Christ, those things are happening, ongoing in us. Jesus is working. I'm not where I ought to be, but thank God I'm not where I used to be. Jesus is changing His children to be more like Himself. Number two, and this is technically the last point, although it's a little bit longer. Don't be taken captive. Don't be taken 
captive. Now remember the context here in this letter is there are false teachers infiltrating the church, which means there's, if there's false teachers, that's, that means there's false teaching. Right? And so if that's happening, Paul is saying specifically to this church in their context, don't be taken captive by this nonsense. And, and look what he says. It's literally, watch out, beware. That's the command. Watch out or beware. So that no one will be taking you captive. And, and look how they'll do it. Verse 8. Through philosophy, through empty deceit or deception. That word empty also be translated vain, which means worthless. Deception. But look what the philosophy and the deception looks like. It says, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. By the way, if you were to turn to Mark chapter 6, I think, there's another passage in Matthew, where Jesus says to these Pharisees, and He says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, your you worship Me with your lips, but your hearts are far from Me. And you teach as doctrine the commandments of men, the traditions of men. That's what He's talking about. That's what false teaching is. And look at how He finishes the verse. If it's, if it's philosophy and empty deception, and it's according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, that means it's not according to Christ. And what did, what did uh, the Bible say in verse 6? You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. So if the teaching is not according to Christ, that by definition makes it false. It's not according to Christ. And so Paul says, watch out, beware, don't be taken captive by this type of false teaching, philosophy, empty or vain deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, which is not according to Christ. Now, now what is this book that, that we preach out of? This is the Bible. This is the Word of God. That means everything in here is according to Christ. But if it's, if it's not, if, if we were to teach something different that's not in this Bible then guess what we've done? We, we veered off into something that is according to the tradition of men or according to the elementary principles of the world or some philosophy or some empty or vain deception, but it's not according to Christ. Folks, there are people who call themselves preachers in churches all over this country and world, mostly this country, and, and I say they call themselves preachers and... and Really, they may call themselves churches. But if they're not preaching the Bible, then you're not a preacher. Are you all alright? Is everybody okay? Did you, you understand what I'm saying? In order to be a preacher, that, that means you preach the Bible. If you don't preach the Bible... Let me ask you a question. This, maybe this will illustrate this point a little better. Do you honestly believe that I am smart enough to come up with something I could say to you on a weekly basis 
that would be more important or more helpful to you than what God said. I mean, is that even a logical possibility? Is there anything I could dream up that would, be, that would impact your lives more than what Jesus says? Not in a million years. So I ask the question, why on earth would I dare to ever preach anything other than what Jesus says? And yet it's done all the time. And I just, it blows my mind. I don't understand it. We have to avoid, watch out, beware that we're not taken captive by teaching that is not according to Christ. Now, the end of this passage, really, from uh, verse 9 down to verse 15, answers two questions for us. And they're not going to be on the screen, but I want to just say them to you, and, and maybe you'll see, you'll see it in the text. But here's the first question. Why must we avoid teaching that is not according to Christ? Well, let me, let me just go through from verse 9. And here you'll see this theme again, these two words, in Him. In Him. It's talking about Jesus. In Him. So first of all, just follow through with me as I walk through these verses. Verse 9. In Him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. In Him. In Him, you have been filled to fullness. Completion. You've been made complete. In Him. And by the way, that's also a passive verb. So, you've been filled up with Jesus. And guess who did that? God did. When you followed Christ, when you repented of your sins and you trusted in Jesus, God has filled you up with Jesus. That's good, right? Be filled up with Jesus. And, and who is Jesus, really? He, he's the head of all rule and authority. See that? We're just, we're just walking here through the text, verse 10. He's the head of all rule and authority. In whom, Jesus... Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision not made by hands. In other words, it's a spiritual surgery. It's a spiritual surgery. You were circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands. And here's what it was. The stripping off or removal of the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when you are uh, made one with Jesus, there is a surgical procedure, so to speak, that takes place that's supposed to strip off the body of the sin of the flesh because you're now united with Jesus. So you're not following the same direction anymore. And then, having been buried with Him, verse 12, in baptism in which also you were raised together through faith in the working of God. And what, what does this work accomplish? Who raised Him, Christ, from the dead. So the end of verse 12, we're, we're having faith in the working of God because God raised Jesus from the dead. So we can trust that. We can trust God. Because look what He's already done. That's what He's already done. That's why we need to avoid teaching that's not according to Christ. 
Because when we're filled to fullness, if let's take this water bottle. It's almost empty. What would happen if I went to the sink back here and put the bottle under and started to fill it up? What would happen when it got to here? What would happen? Okay. Could I, I mean, once it gets to there, can I put anything else in it? No, it's, it's, it's full. Now, I want you to look at this before we answer this last question. I want you to look at verse 9 and verse 10 and how they play together. In Him, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. By the way, it's present tense, continual action. It always dwells in Christ. Fullness of deity. That means Jesus is God. Okay? But now look at the Word. If all the fullness of deity dwells in Christ, and in verse 10... And in Him, you have been filled up. That's what that word complete literally translated means. You have been filled to fullness. What kind of fullness? The fullness of Jesus. The fullness of Christ who is full of deity, full of God. Which means, if Jesus is filling you up with Himself, there ought not be any more room. We'll get to that at the very end. Full of Jesus. Why must we avoid teaching that's not according to Christ? Because we want to stay full of Jesus. He, he's filled us full with Himself. And we were baptized into His death. We've been raised into a new life through faith in the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. You, you wonder why we, we do what we do up here in this baptismal pool? Romans 6, buried with Him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That's a picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. It's a picture of the Gospel. Second question, last question. How did God accomplish your transformation? How did He get that done? Verse 13. When you were dead, by the way, if you're, what can you do for yourself if you're dead in your transgressions? Nothing. Good thing God did it. God did it. When you were dead in your transgressions, in your, in your trespasses, this is how God accomplishes this transformation. The uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning outside of the covenant of God. Look at this in verse 13. He made you alive together with Him. He, God, made you alive together with Him, Jesus. Now I want you to look at this. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. When you trust in Jesus, you're forgiven. Past, present, and future. You're forgiven. The blood of Jesus has covered your sins. Now I want to tell you something interesting about that word. That word for forgiven, having forgiven all our trespasses, the root word of that, if you look at it in the Greek New Testament, is the same word for grace. 
Now, isn't that interesting? So, you know what the foundation of our forgiveness is? It's the grace of God. The unmerited favor. The, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Grace. Forgiveness. That, that's what Jesus did for us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He made us alive together with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And then, He didn't stop there, verse 14. He destroyed, obliterated, canceled out this certificate of indebtedness of the ordinances and decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And He removed it, taking it out of our midst, out of our way. And how did He do that? Look at the end of verse 14. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And as a result of that redemptive plan that put Jesus on that cross, He disarmed rulers and authorities. And by the way, if we were to just happen to to go right back here to Colossians chapter 1 and talk about who Jesus is, in Colossians 1 verse 16, the Bible says that by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. He's over everything. So He disarmed the rulers and authorities by the blood of His cross. He made a public display of them triumph over them in Christ. So here's the picture. You ever been to a parade? Can you picture Jesus victorious leading a procession of every spiritual ruler and authority who would try and come against Christ and they're all in in shackles and he's leading them through the streets in victory and they're just you know walking along heads down completely defeated and Christ is the one up on the the main float the grand marshal so to speak and everybody's cheering because of his victory and he's making a public display of all those who thought they could rival His authority. And He disarmed them all. He defeated them all. And He nailed it to the cross. It's a very profound statement. Let me, uh, let me land the plane here. I think the best, maybe the best way to, to close this out Verse 14, canceled out the certificate of indebtedness. There was a custom in this time, this first century, whenever there was a person executed, they would hang a sign over their head listing the charges. You recall? The cross that Jesus was crucified on had a sign nailed to the top of it. It said, the King of the Jews. 
it was written in Greek and Aramaic and Latin, three different language, languages, so everyone around could understand what was what was being written and, and what he was being accused of. So I want you to understand what verse 14 says. What are the implications of Jesus being executed as the King of the Jews? Verse 14. The law of sin and death. Remember Romans 8, 1 and 2? The, the real charge that caused the crucifixion of our Savior was because the law of sin and death was being conquered. So when they wrote that on, his, on the sign, King of the Jews, Jesus was taking that, all those charges, the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, He removed it, nailing it to the cross. So the charges that He absorbed, the law of sin and death that caused His crucifixion. So in Romans 8, when we read, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. All rulers and authorities have been disarmed through the victory of Christ. The brutal cross of crucifixion in the empty tomb of liberation and freedom. Jesus did that. He did that for us. For all who would believe in Him and trust in Him by grace through faith, accepting that sacrifice on our behalf, that bloody cross. It should have been us. So, with that in mind, why do we need to avoid teaching that's not according to Christ? I put this statement on this last slide I just want you to read. When you're filled full of Jesus, you won't be looking for any other teaching. When we get bombarded at every turn by this world full of sinfulness and full of crazy philosophies and vain, empty deception, people coming up with new nonsense it seems every day. You, you get filled up full of Jesus and there won't be any room for anything else. Get, get filled up with Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.